Hi, welcome to Femex Podcast. This is your host, Jessie Medina. Today's guest is a superwoman who is going to be sharing with us a lot of gems when it comes to sales and confidence. Her name is Julia Andrews. She represents the National Association of Women Sales Professionals as the chapter president for Portland. She's also the founder and creator of The Art of Feminine Selling, a sales methodology that highlights empathy and vulnerability as a strength with an emphasis on mindset and authenticity to self. She's a sales coach and a sales team strategist who sold over $200 million in sales and who brings her expertise from working over two decades as a top-tier performer in corporate financial services to help and support women to not be afraid of selling and achieve the financial success that they envision. Before moving to the U.S., Julia shares that one of her biggest adventures was learning English as a second language, while at the same time learning how to sell as she needed to alleviate the household burden to her single mother with five children. As she describes it, sales was my second language and English was my third. She is amazing and I cannot wait to dive into this episode. I do want to apologize ahead of time because obviously we were doing this virtually and we had a couple of glitches with the sound, so I apologize for the sound imperfections. However, the content is amazing and I cannot wait for you to hear what she has to say. Without further ado, let's get into this episode. Besos! Hi everyone, how's it going? I'm here with Julia Andrews today. How, hi Julia, how are you? Hey, how's it going? Doing well, just enjoying some of the time at home. <laughs> how are you? I'm holding up. I mean, I've been working from home, so it's not like a difference for me, but but still not being able to leave the house. That's a little crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's crazy that we live in. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited to dive into our chat because we do have a lot of female entrepreneurs out there. And one of the main questions that people ask me about is, how do you sell? I think for women, it can be a little bit harder to sell. Um, I think personally, because of a lot of the stories and things that we're taught when we are growing up, but wow. you are the expert. So I want to hear from you. What are some of the questions and challenges that women face? You are an expert in selling. So yeah. let's hear from you. Um, well, one of the things I think, you know, before to, to bring it back and to realize, hey, why do I actually have such a either negative connotation towards selling? Why is it very difficult for me? One of the things to remember is we as women um, have been socialized to to be the caregivers, to be the the peacemakers, to not, um, you know, be the ones going out and, and getting, you know, getting the bacon, as they say, right? We're, we're, we're nurturers. And when we, you know, don't talk too much about yourself, don't highlight your accomplishments. And when we are turned into now, let's say promoting a product, a service, a program, something that we are creating, it's almost like an inner uh, battle of like, wait, I've been taught this, but now I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. And, it, and it's very, uh, until you can get grounded, or maybe if you've worked, let's say a nine to five or in corporate America or something like that, and you've gotten formal training in, in terms of what, what selling is. And, and that's another story that we're going to cover because most of it is yeah. done by <laughs> men for men. <laughs> so not necessarily covering a lot of what women 
um, should know about selling that makes them so powerful in doing that. But it's just a very, it's an inner conflict, Jesse, around um, is this a good thing? Am I taking from somebody versus am I offering a solution? Um, am I asking for money versus Am I um, helping them with a problem that they have or a struggle that they have? And it's really pivoting uh, the way that you actually see selling uh, instead of looking at it from, you know, the standpoint of being like, you know, the car salesman persona always comes up or (laughs) or somebody that wants to trick you into something you want to. You want to reframe that that way of looking at selling from how can I serve someone? How can I help them with the problem or the struggle or the situation that they're facing? How can I be uh, the change for them? And if it's not me, how can I, you know, open up my my uh, my network to somebody? to help. Mm -hmm. So you're really looking at it from, I'm not going to be everything to everyone, but I'm sure going to try to help them with what I have. So it's, it's really, it's looking at it from a place of, of, of service, of Mm -hmm. um, genuinely wanting to help someone and knowing that selling is, is offering a solution to people that have, you know, raised their hand and said, you know what, I need help in this area. And if that's, that's, you know, you, you're the person that actually helps them in that area. How can you share a value proposition? You know, how can you share what you do in a way that engages the audience, engages the person says, well, tell me more. And where does this take place? And how do you, you know, all those kind of questions that are more out of curiosity than, than trying to, to, than uh, trying to just kind of like, see if, you know, can I get them to buy? I always tell so I, I I like that. Yeah. So I come from the corporate world and for I I was doing marketing and PR. So yeah. I was never like doing the sales. I was not a direct this, you know, direct sales kind of person. Yeah. So I was providing materials and leads and all that stuff for the salespeople, you know, at each location to to sell the product. Yeah. Uh, but I wasn't the one in the front line selling. Yeah. So when I became an entrepreneur <laughs> for the time you know for the first time in years okay years I had to offer a service and I think one of the challenges that women face and at least I did was that I knew I was providing something of value and I wanted to help someone so I up to that point of what you're saying like okay you're offering something to someone you're helping you're serving someone up to that point I was fine okay Mm -hmm. but the moment that they would say anything whatsoever like anything like mm, I don't know like even a simple sound like mm, I don't know like anything any hesitation I would be like that's when I would freeze and that's when I would be like either because I am a really generous person yeah. so I'd want to help anyway so I'd be like but if you can't pay it's okay maybe I can help you you know <laughs> like say like oh I gotta talk to my husband or whatever it may be and I would be like okay you get no worries like and that for me was like I think not wanting to be pushy. Yeah. And so I think a lot of women are like, we are happy to help. So like, that is a beautiful thing to say, okay, I'm offering a service. But then how do you get over those objections and not not relay them to all these negative, yeah. you know, 
that people have told us growing up, like, oh, you don't want to be greedy. You don't want to be pushy. You don't want to be salty. You know, yes. so yes. I, I think that was my biggest struggle when I was starting out as an entrepreneur. I think, it, and you know what, Jesse, I, I, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that is probably one of the, if I had to put a top three, that's probably one of the top three things that I hear from women entrepreneurs that, hey, you know, my biggest, my biggest resistance is I don't want to be pushy. I don't want to be the person that's, you know, always on uh, trying to like get on them, like buy my thing or whatever. Like I don't mm-hmm. want to be that person. And I think it's very important to address um, what, how to redirect the conversation. So for example, and this is assuming let's, let's, let's get a couple of things really straight here. You're not everything <laughs> to everybody. Okay, because we're not in the business. Ladies, hear me clearly here. We're not in the business of convincing people. That's not what you want to do, because then you're always going to feel like you're the one pushing the conversation. Right. I mean, think about it like an example when you're trying to convince someone, let's say your kids or your your husband or your significant other or your parents or something to do that. You're you're kind of driving that conversation. In a sales conversation, you you don't want to do that necessarily. You want to make sure that there is like an even distribution of energy. They want to be there as much as you want to be there. And how you Mm -hmm. determine that is you want to make sure that you're just like what you you were doing in corporate America, really, you know, getting demand generation, marketing and all that kind of stuff so that people raise their hand and say, hey, Jesse, I'm interested in what you are doing. Tell me more. So now you're in a different playing field because they want to actually hear what you have to say. Mm -hmm. So to not another piece of that puzzle is that you don't want to see it like objections or are nothing more than concerns. People, you know, if they're going to be making an investment in you or spending their hard earned money on on whatever you're offering, they want to make sure they understand what they're do what they're getting themselves into. So when I see somebody say like, mm, you know what, Julia, I'm not sure about this or or whatever. I always try to come at it from a place of understanding, like, well, tell me more about that. What do you mean? And I I really, my demeanor changes from an objection where an objection feels very like it, it's either you're right or I'm right. Like, like a, like a battle, a little bit of a battle, right? right? And when you're looking at it from a concern point of view, your demeanor changes from, well, look, tell me more about that and, and give me an example of that. Or, or uh, it's, it's, it's less combative and it's more collaborative. So you want to make sure that when you are selling, there's tactical and strategies that you need to, to have in place. For instance, you want to make sure that you understand what is the, the top three objections that you get all the time. And how can you address them before they come up? That's the saying in, 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 in sales. It's like, how do you address an objection before it comes up? You always want to talk about it before mm-hmm. because you already know that your ideal client always thinks that, right? So you want to make sure that you're addressing it. And coming again, it's not going to make you feel pushy or anything because you're just giving them information. Their mind is trying to figure out, I want to justify like, I need to justify the investment and I need to have information to do that. So you, I always tell my clients, you know, don't think of yourself as a salesperson. Think of yourself as a teacher, as an educator, as an expert. You're providing information to someone to make a decision, an educated decision. So I immediately separate myself from the outcome. I make sure that I'm giving that person 
all the, t- the information they need to say, you know what, this is exactly what I need. Or you know what, this is not what I wanted or what I thought it was going to be. And, you know, maybe I, you can refer them to somebody else. But it's always in the interest of helping. And you may be thinking, well, Julia, am I just going to be like answering questions and where does the deal happen? You know, um, the deal also happens when you set up your business and and you qualify client potential leads. A lot of people, you know, if, if this if this concept is new, what, what does qualifying mean? Um, what it, that simply means is that you are taking steps so that you weed out the people that are just tire kicker, kickers, the people that are never going to buy from you. And you can do it in several different ways with your messaging, with your marketing. You know, you become a little bit more um, polarizing in your messaging because you're trying to attract the people that really believe in what you believe in, in terms of your values. And you kind of repel the people that don't. So that's one way of qualifying. Another way of qualifying is make sure you have um, uh, questionnaires and applications before you jump on the phone with anybody so they can address the financial piece you want to make sure well and i love that because going back to my example too that's that's literally how i got out of that problem <laughs> i got out of that problem by saying okay, well, i'm talking to these people that can't afford me that's yeah. okay yeah, there's nothing with really them that. you know i usually end up either helping them some people if they were like you know, kind of friends you know people that i cared about or if it wasn't anyone that I knew personally or cared about, what I did is just refer them to Fiverr yeah. or some other place where they could buy cheap services, yeah. you know, uh, because you cannot ask an expert to like charge you five or $15 for right. something. Right. So, uh, but I think that issue, going back to what you said, your point, it's so true, ladies, like she's saying it's so true because what I was doing, instead of qualify them at first, I would go meet with them and spend an hour, spend my time. And then it turned out like, oh, I don't have the money or oh, like God. whatever yeah. it may be. Right? I don't have the time, whatever. So then it's like if I had done something as simple as like you said, a form or ask them questions before or get on like maybe a 10 minute call, like virtual call before and like just make sure that they meet certain right. requirements, then you can meet yeah. with them. And then like, sure, there can be other objections, but at least you're making sure that that they meet the basic qualifications. And that is so important. Like, you don't want to waste your money. It's like <laughs> this, like, this is how I understood it from a marketing yeah. perspective. It's like, when I was doing my marketing ads, I would have never, if I'm marketing, like, let's say, uh, what's something feminine, like yes. nail polish. If I'm marketing polish, I would have never ran an ad that targeted men <laughs> in, the, in the, you know, in the criteria, right? You, ne- you would oh. never do that. So, yeah, same thing with your services, you know, even if you are like trying to sell something, it's like, okay, make sure that you are meeting up and talking to the people that are qualified and that that can afford or whatever. Sometimes it's not about money. Sometimes it's about other things, oh, wow. too, like they don't understand what you do or like they, they don't necessarily fit. So, like for me, I work with people that fit mm-hmm. my brand, if that wow. makes sense. And like that's that's interesting because it's like, aren't you supposed to do their branding and like work on their branding? Yes. But I'm not going to like do someone's brand in a style that doesn't really go with them. And that's not true to them. So if I see that someone, for example, to give you a Mm -hmm. silly example, has like black colors all over it and they love that. And that's their branding. I'm like, I'm sorry. I, I will never personally brand someone like that. So I can refer you to this other Mm -hmm. designer or this other expert that has that, look and feel you know and understands that 
that type of branding. So there are so many things that you can qualify people on. And I love that you brought that up. Like that is, I think, what literally saved me from like going broke because like the first couple months I was not making any sales. (laughs) So here's here's a a very, you know, vivid example of a client. I I won't, you know, mention her name, but she was one of my students of one of the courses that I have that's called The Art of Feminine Selling. And she has been in business for like two years and she's fantastic at what she does. Um, And she, I said to her, the first thing I always check always, always, always is how you're qualifying the people that are coming to you, because that's the first indicator if they can afford you Mm -hmm. or not. I mean, let's, you know, so I had her add her prices, her her minimum pricing on her questionnaire. We added a questionnaire, we added the pricing and she was so resistant. Mm -hmm. She's like, Julia, I don't feel good about this, but well, you know, whatever. And I said, listen, you're paying me for something. So, and I've done this for 24 years. So let's, 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 let's go ahead and do it. I said, if it doesn't work out, which I was like, how is it not? Um, Then we'll have another conversation. The second week that she was my student, she made $15,000. She couldn't believe it. She's like, Julia, oh my God, it worked, blah, blah. The third week, $32,000 off of making those changes. Wow. She was taking too many calls. And she was not getting uh, Mm -hmm. enough clients. And it was very, very exhausting and taxing because having conversations with, you know, 10 people, forget about it. in one day, that's a lot. That's a lot of energy, uh, you know, expenditure. So we changed that so that she, you know, she was targeting the right people, but she was immediately weeding out the ones that were not her ideal client. And that was one of the biggest difference. Mm So uh, definitely qualifying is a, uh, a must if you are to be talking to uh, viable leads, which is a lead as a, a potential you know, to, okay. to sell to. Um, but going back, I think one of the things that that really stop women, especially is kind of the imposter syndrome too. They feel like, oh my God, who am I to be charging this much? Or who am I to be asking for money? Or who am I to, um, to, to kind of, you know, make myself look like I'm the founder or I'm the, I'm the, I'm the person charge. Right. And I think that it's important to indoctrinate yourself <laughs> as funny as it sounds about the things that now that you mm-hmm. are and what are the, what are the activities or the skills or the, uh, the roles that you're going to have to execute on and, and kind of look at, okay, what, what, I, what don't I feel comfortable? Here's another huge one with women and it's about money. Um, money, not only asking for it, but the ability the of res- receiving it. And um, that comes up a lot in, in, with my clients when I'm, when we are repackaging their stuff and, and we're like, and I'm like, you're way like grossly undercharging and I'm asking them to, to increase it. And there's this almost resistant to it. And I'm like, I'm, you're going to get more money. And you don't want it. Like what something's wrong with this equation. Um, and and what, what happens is that, you know, we trace it back to, you know, what was the first conversation that you can ever remember, right? Your first recollection around money was money scarce in your household was money. What did your parents always say? Like, Oh, money doesn't grow on trees. And, and was money always like, uh, you know, fleeting, it was in and out, right? You got paid and then you dispersed it. And I think that it's important to have a, an, a positive relationship with money and acknowledge where it is, right? So that you can, you can actually ask for the business, 
Because if you're not comfortable asking for, for money, and then all of a sudden you have to ask in order to complete the transaction, right? The, the, the sale, you're going to do everything to sabotage that. So I think it's important to also recognize where, um, what is my, like, if I had to give myself, you know, from one to 10, where is my, I don't know if this is a word, comfortability or my level of comfort, I should say. When it comes to money, like how well do I feel? And there's mm -hmm. a book out there that I would love to recommend. I always have my students, my clients, everybody read it if they have uh, any issues with money. And it's from this um, author, the same author that um, came up with a book, uh, You're a Badass, yellow book um, oh yeah and she came up with a second book it's called you're a badass at making money i love it because mm -hmm. it's a woman talking about finances it's a woman talking about you know she's well into her 40s and broke and she's able to turn it around mm -hmm. and it's super super easy to understand on how your mindset plays a big role in you making money or not or how much and it's insane because if you're always thinking that you're never going to be making money, you're almost like holding yourself back from actually leveling mm -hmm. in terms of, of that. And you're always um, kind of feeling very uh, nervous when it comes down, uh, time to like ask for the business. You rather don't. I have clients that do like, well, I remember one time I was, um, I was uh, talking to a woman that uh, actually had a business, but she was starting a second business and she didn't have a lot of clients. And what she was doing was uh, personality testing. So she would go out to, you know, companies and such, and they would do personality and I remember I had her do her entire presentation in front of me. And at the end, I said, they didn't buy, right? And she's like, how did you know? <laughs> and I'm like, because you didn't ask him. You didn't ask me. You just you're quiet. I said, wow. and you know, people are waiting for you to take the lead. So she's like, oh, my God. And then, you know, then we broke down what was happening. But she was basically not feeling comfortable asking people to take the next step because she felt like she would be pushy. And that was a complete misconception. It was more about, well, now that you know how we can actually have you have better employees, happy employees, you know, this is how much money you're going to be saving or how much money you're going to make at the end of the year, whatever, and address that and then ask for the business. But she wasn't doing that. And that's, and she, it's, it wasn't a problem specifically to her. It was an issue that I see time and time again. And that's because you're uncomfortable asking for money, asking for the sale. You it may be even uncomfortable putting somebody on the spot because you think that you're creating tension or, or pressurizes it, mm -hmm. I should say. Tension is good because it, it, it creates an energy of, okay, what are you going to do now? Pressure that's like pressuring somebody mm -hmm. to, to make a decision and um and I'm, i don't i don't uh i don't recommend you do that um you should always lead with with empathy and vulnerability and 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 try to uh put yourself in your in your potential client's shoes to really understand uh maybe they're fearful you know if they're not stepping into something and how can you help them walk through that fear um, and I think that's where, you know, women are, I gave a, a talk uh, here in Portland, a company called Vicasa uh, around the, 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 the theme of it was why women are hardwired wire, to sell better. And one of the 
points were how mm-hmm. women are our natural connectors. We want to connect. We, I mean, just think about the times we get together with our friends, right? It's like, you know, pour the wine and then let's just like, tell me the details. Let's talk about what's happening in, in everybody's life. And we are, we are just natural connectors at our core. And if you can think about having a sales conversation with someone that you're going to impact, help, support, serve, is one of the most intimate conversations you can have. Um, and if you're leading with, you know, vulnerability, empathy, being empathetic to their situation, where they've been, where they're struggling, and also maybe share a couple of stories around, you know, why you do what you do, why you're so passionate, um, why you want to make a difference in people's lives. You know, that helps people see you, not just your product or your service, but but see your human human side and why, you know, they want to buy from you because people buy from people. People don't buy from companies. People um, want to hear what is the story and you could probably talk to the, talk to to this Jesse because you're in marketing you you understand that um so yep especially mm-hmm. this generation especially you know, millennials and gen zers we are not gonna buy anything right. if we don't trust the source and now we trust you know peer reviews we trust our friends we trust all that over anything else I think what happened is we grew up like watching our parents, you know, from a marketing standpoint, this is like, these are facts, you know, we grew up seeing like, like you said, the typical, you know, um, yeah. you know used car salesman, like that kind of stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. we almost developed a filter. So we, we can see rise right through things. And we can, we can really like, see when someone wow. is not being genuine, right? When someone doesn't, I think it's so important for for us to really show up and like you said, share these things. Like why why are you different? You know, share your story. Like why are you so passionate? And also like your experience. You have 22 years of experience doing this and that will show. Now I have a question for you because you have 22 years of experience. First of all, you don't even look like you're that old. <laughs> I think that's something to be challenging. Like when you're talking to older people, like I've experienced that too, where it's like, oh, you're so yeah. young. Like, what do you know? But um, by the way, but also I want to ask, like, how did you, you know, how did you go into this? Because I don't think it's very like common, right, for women, um, you know, to choose. Yeah to go the sales route and the women that do walk at it, because like you said, there are a lot of feminine attributes that help us be good at it. But how did you get started? What made you get started? Tell us so a little bit about that. So my story is actually, it's, it's almost like you want to just kind of share the highlights, <laughs> um, but, but I'm going to start from, you know, what, what really started this. And, and it, it wasn't a very glamorous or a very, um, you know, sto- uh, fairy tale story by any yeah, <laughs> never. You know, my my first language is Spanish. Yo soy de México, right? Um, and uh, when I was seventeen years old, uh, my parents got divorced, and we moved from Mexico to San Diego. And my mom was newly single with five kids and no money. So our life was like completely from literally like from black to white. Like it was just a very big drastic change. So my mom, um, you know, had been a a stay-at-home wife for 20 plus years. Now she had like two jobs. At one point she had three jobs. And uh, my oldest sister and me were faced with the the task to help, you know, to help out. So 
Um, I basically had two full-time jobs going to school in the morning and then, you know, working in the afternoons, weekends and nights. And I remember I barely spoke English, but I was able to read in the classifieds. Oh my God, now I'm dating myself. (laughs) So, and I remember seeing, you know, kind of like, you know, marketing buzzwords, like make as much as you want and control your income. I was like, all right, that's what I'm going to do. And it was a sales job. And, you know, three days later, after I saw the ad on the newspaper, I had, I was, a, you know, my own little salesperson and I would walk the door, you know, in, in, um, <laughs> in neighborhoods and sell knives, kitchen knives. <laughs> and I remember what wow. That, was it Cutco? And it was just, it was probably one of the best jobs that I could have gotten. I didn't think that in the, in, you know, in the moment, because it was really hard work and made me, you know, I would just picture this. 17 year old girl, you know, knocking on doors, barely trying to get it a word in edgewise, you know, for like the first four seconds. So I can, you know, wouldn't slam the door in my face, but I would walk in with a script because I didn't even know what I was saying. Half of the time I was just like, I don't know what I'm saying, but people are buying things from me. So it must be good. So I, I really, you know, I realized how I liked connecting with people. I believed in the product. The product was really good. And, and it, um, it helped me be out there, meet people, connect, um, recognize that, you know what I actually, maybe I could, I could do this. You know, I, I'm, I'm good at this and a year working in the, in that I then, um, got a job offer to work at Merrill Lynch, you know, from that I sold a, a, a you know wow. a kitchen knife set too, and then from there you know obviously that was pretty cutthroat in terms of how they dealt with sales and stuff. But I learned a lot. Um, and then can I can I stop you right there because I want I want to put a little parenthesis there because I think the beauty of the story so far, and I'm sure there are so many beautiful things about your story, but. I think sometimes we tell ourselves so many lies and limiting beliefs about the things that we can and cannot do. And the moment that we step into the unknown and the things that are scary is the moment that we find opportunity. And in your mm-hmm. case, you had only, I mean, you said it, you breathed through it like it's nothing, but you had only been yeah, here like for like <laughs> months or a year. And you speak language that you did not speak before. And I'm sure it was broken at the time. I'm sure that, you know, because I've been through that. I'm an immigrant too, so I know how it goes. So here you are, like, making sales, and you must have been so good at it or so inspiring at least. Like, they saw the potential in you. They saw your drive that these people that you were selling to offer you a job at one of the biggest companies in the world. And I want to just really, really put that out there for the people listening because these things are not yeah. going to come to our bedroom <laughs> while we're laying down or watching Netflix. Like these things happen, these opportunities happen when we put ourselves out there and do scary things. And I'm sure it was scary at the time, but you still did it no matter what, even though you were scared. And now here you are and people can see you now and see your success and think, oh, wow, like she's so lucky or she had it easy. But unless they get to hear these stories, they don't realize like the effort that goes into it and like, all the times that you had to do something super scary and put yourself out there so that you could get to that. So I just wanted to say that because I love how you just kind of like breeze through it and like, you know, heck yes, girl, like seriously, yeah. you're so no, inspiring. I'm going to continue, continue. pause and, and highlight a couple moments that I think people need, need to hear. I wish I would have probably, I wish podcasts would have been around like this one, right? 
where you can hear stories and be and uh -huh. borrow courage. I borrowed courage from mm -hmm. everybody and their mother. I you know I I was just like, is this person doing it? Okay, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna take it from them. And I didn't have a woman role model. You know, I all I knew was that I needed to help right. out with food. Like if I didn't go out and I didn't hustle and and you know with my broken English and sounded funny and awkward and stupid and whatever. My, my little, you know, my, my siblings would not eat. We would not eat. It was that desperate. And it's so funny how, you know, in the, in retrospect, right. I can say funny, but in the moment it was bad. Um, when you are faced in a situation right. of survival <laughs> like that, nothing is more important. You're so focused. I remember, you know, I didn't say this at the beginning, but the sets of knife that I was selling, check this out. I was 17 years old and I was selling sets that were between $25 and $2,800 a set. And, and I remember, you yep. know, every week we would, we would have these like team, like these meetings, you know, all the, all the co college kids that were selling these knives. And I would look at these guys and they would go up to the front of the room and they would share all their successes. And I'm so glad that I had that social proof and I didn't have any blocks in my mind that I could do it. Cause I, you know, what I mean? like, cause I was like, I, I don't mm -hmm. even speak very well and how am I going to do it? But I would see kids making three to $5,000 a week selling this stuff. So I was just like, I think I can do it too. Right. So I mm -hmm. think that, you know, ignorance was bliss in that moment where I was just so focused on, on making money to help my family <laughs> and, and not giving up and just doing it day in and day out after a year. I didn't no longer walked in with a script. I had it memorized. And that's when this man saw me. Mm -hmm. And and I just want to share really quickly, when when that happened, you know, with, with the money that I would make, I would give my mom the money, all my money, and I would keep a couple, you know, dollars for myself. And I would buy the magazine, money magazine. I was upset. Mm -hmm to make money at that age wow. I was eight, four, 18 years old I knew what a 401k was what a Roth IRA was I knew I was just obsessed you know and I remember yeah so wow, I was just that's like, incredible I family, didn't even you know that. everybody everything <laughs> every desire of bettering myself always had my family in front of it right so I remember talking to this man and, and when they were buying you know mm -hmm. the set he gives me his business card and I looked at it and I remembered there was this little bull on, you know, the logo of Merrill Lynch on his car. And I remember seeing that logo in mm -hmm. the magazines. So I immediately, before I could say anything, wow. and I think this is going to be a good segue to the next point that I want to make was I said, I've always wanted to work at Merrill Lynch. And in that moment, I was like, oh my God, what did I just say? Like I, like my subconscious took over and my, my conscious mind was like, what are you doing? You just made a sale. You're asking this guy to hire you. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, it, and that when he, what he said, wow. I, I almost like died a thousand deaths. He's like, I would never offer a job to a community college student. And in that moment, I was just like, somebody please kill me. <laughs> so was this before I, you did your presentation the or after you wife, did your presentation? And I asked, like, you know, that I've always wanted to work in Merrill oh, Lynch okay. and out came those words. And I was just like paralyzed. But then he said, but if they can sell like you, <laughs> serious, come see me Monday wow. morning. 
and I and I, and you know that big tall building in downtown wow. San Diego, that black building on the street. That's where I worked. So I was like, yeah. I seriously like I I'm like on the verge of tears for you, like of like the joy, like the happiness of like hearing these stories because I say it all the time, but like to hear these stories and like to be reminded, like it it just seriously you just have to put yourself out there. Like people can literally do anything yeah. they put their minds to and they put their work to like it's so so true like and the fact that this is what I also admire the fact that you were investing in educating yourself because what if you I hadn't been know. buying those magazines and you wouldn't have known what Marilyn Lynch was I have made that comment so it's like just knowing like I was really advanced for my age <laughs> but I didn't know about like these money things or like money magazine you know like I I think that is so incredible and this is why it's so important to, to invest in yourself and like you know make sure you're always continuously learning no matter what it is you know so I seriously like thank you so much like that's super inspiring I'm know, like literally like my story, eyes are like all watery I'll be honest like I I it just it really you know, you never forget when you're going through tough times like that and everything counts and every, you you don't forget that. That stays with you. So I think that's one of the reasons why mm -hmm. I'm so, I'm mm -hmm. genuinely passionate to, to educate women in in, in, sale, in selling mm -hmm. and in sales. And, and, and I'll share um, later on what, you know, what I do in, in terms of supporting that forward. But I want to make sure that I point mm -hmm. this out, that Asking for what you want is one of the biggest themes that I see that women don't do and don't cultivate. And in that moment, I guess when I was 18 years old, I didn't know that I was doing that, but that was in my heart. My heart spoke in that moment. And okay. I would, if anybody, you know, anybody that's okay. listening, I would ask two questions and I want you to get a piece of paper and I want you to write something down because this is literally going to make a difference in your life immediately, not, you know, in a week or two, or immediately after you, you know, stop hearing this, this, uh, this podcast, I want you to ask yourself, do I always <laughs> get what I want? And I want you to be honest with yourself and write it down. Sometimes maybe never, whatever that answer is. And I want you to write down the next question or the, the next, basically, yeah, it's a question to yourself because getting what you want is, at, is easier than your brain is telling you that it is. I want you to write down, do I have, do I have the habit of asking for what I want? In, wow. in the habit, when you are, it, it spreads everywhere in your life with your kids, with your friends, with your coworkers, if you work with your husbands or significant others with, you know, pick any situation in your life. And it's nothing more than a habit. So I've done, I've become, you know, a habit is a muscle, just like when you go to the gym or when, you know, you're disciplined and stuff like that, the more that you repeat it, the more comfortable you are with it. So what I always recommend is, is that, you start small, like asking maybe your partner to put the trash out if you are open, but you would like for him or her to do it. Mm -hmm. Do something that is doesn't have a lot of consequence, but that feel bolder, whatever that mm -hmm. is for you. 
And then the next day, may have a habit of every single day taking one action, just one, that would have you asking for something that you want. When you start little by little, you're going to recognize that the little things that you're asking is going to transfer into the big things. Maybe in a meeting, maybe asking for a raise, maybe asking for a new, you know, an opportunity for a new position, maybe asking, you know, that client, that potential client that you've always wanted to ask for their business, maybe is, you know, talking to someone that you've, you haven't had the courage to share what is in your heart. Maybe, you know, it's just the benefits are endless, but it's a reflection of, of the quality of your life. Whatever that means to you, it doesn't have to be monetary. It could be, it could be just, you know, uh, how you see your, 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 uh, your well-being, your health, uh, your love life, your, your relationships with people, uh, your relationship with money. It's so many things, but it, it, it just, it, it stems from you, you know, sharing what's in your heart and not being afraid to ask for it. And I think, like, for, for me, like, what helped me, I don't know where I read it, but I read it at some point in my life, and it said, like, ask for what you want, and I love it because it is a habit, and I remember it said practice it with something small, so what, what I changed initially was I started, like, if I went to a restaurant and wow. the, the meat wasn't cooked the way that I asked or something, I would, I started saying something, and it was so silly because my fear wasn't in, like, oh, I'm not going to get it or something, it was, like, my limiting belief was that, that's not mm -hmm. nice. And I think a lot of women, now that you were talking, it, re it reminded me of that. And it reminded me that sometimes it's because we feel like for whatever reason, and it's a lie, that that's not nice. That's not polite. Yeah. It's not polite to ask for more. It's not polite to, you know. So I think that's one of like the, the limiting beliefs that we have. And then I remember whenever I did start asking for little things like that, people would <laughs> politely be like, okay, let me get you another one or let me cook it better for you, you know. And I remember, like, I could tell you where I was sitting, what restaurant, everything, where like that first moment that I tried it, that I was yeah. like, he didn't cry. Right. He didn't get hurt. Like, anything like nothing happened everything continued the same I got the meat the way that I wanted it and like since then I started practicing so I think it's so beautiful it's so true what you're saying like it starts with the small things and when you become aware of that you realize that we as women before we become aware of this walk around sometimes yeah. not ever asking even for the smallest things we would rather play victim because I think ultimately that's what it, or, or you know we think we're martyrs victims whatever it may be but like we're walking around like yeah. say your husband doesn't like take out the trash ever or help you with chores or whatever it may be stop being the victim that's like oh like you never say a thing yes. you never ask for it but instead you're like oh I'm not loved <laughs> because I'm not being helped oh I'm not valuable because no one's giving me this or that it's like no, right, you need right. to ask. Like it's, nobody's it's, gonna read you know, your mind. Said, like it's, it's emotional <laughs> constipation, is what it is, and it's so bad. <laughs> but one of the things that I would say <laughs> to that, there's a caveat for asking for what you want, and I think it's very important for you to know that because just like when I said at the beginning, you know, when I asked for, you know, wanting to work in this company, I got crushed immediately, right? And then. I was able to like, you know, breathe in again. You have to be willing to risk getting crushed for the opportunity. 
making the ask for the mm. purpose of creating the habit is what's important, not the result right now. Right now, what's important is that you ask because you're building that that uh, that practice, that habit. But like like success can't exist without failure. To succeed, you must risk failure. So I'm ne I'm okay. never gonna show up here and say like, oh, I get everything I want. Yeah, right. But I'm gonna guarantee you something. Uh oh, I'm guaranteeing. I'm a salesperson. <laughs> I can guarantee you're never going to get what you don't ask for because <laughs> you're, you're, you're stopping the possibilities. You're not even opening the door. So it's important. It's important that you give yourself the opportunity to have what you want by asking. Yeah, and I think even statistically speaking, I mean, if you right. never ask, a hundred percent of the time you're gonna, it's gonna be a no. Like you're not gonna get whatever it is. If you ask, at least statistically speaking, you'll be fifty-fifty. You know, uh, that you get what you want. So even if you get fifty percent of the things you wanted, you're still way better off than like not getting anything. And then waking up one day and saying, "What has my life become? Who am I? What am I doing here? Do I have the things that I want?" Why don't I have the career that yeah. I want? Why am I not married to the person I want? Whatever it may be, um, then we we become this this person that we don't even know. So I think it's so beautiful what you're saying is like just ask and be willing to take the risk. And if it's a no, yeah, you, then it's you okay. Just, you have then to look at it. I think it, yes. you know something that's <laughs> been very helpful for me, and I don't mean to be unemotional about it or like like cold cold about it, but you have to look at it about it a little bit clinically. You have to separate yourself from it and give yourself the opportunity. You know, uh, Rome was not built in a day and I'm sure there's a lot of things that happened, iterations, changes, pivots mm -hmm. that have to take place before you get it right. And, and there've been mm -hmm. many times I've been called crazy or this is not possible or you are your mind and what do you think you are? Blah, blah, blah. You know, mm -hmm. but I am willing to, to, to take that in, in order to achieve, you know, my outcome. And sometimes it takes me five tries. Sometimes it takes me one try, but, but you, you learn, you learn, a, 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 you know, how to, how to do things a little bit better. Uh, you know, in the military, they have this, uh, this, this um, saying or not, well, it, it's a, it's a report that they do is called the after action report. And basically they, Anytime they go out and they they do they execute on something and it didn't turn out right or it did turn out right, they always document what went right, what went wrong, and what are we going to change for next time. And when you start looking at it from a point of view that it's not your outcome is not reflecting your intentions and your in your efforts, you start looking at it from okay, it's just a, it's just an indication, it's just feedback of where I'm maybe um, missing the mark or where I can, I'm doing really good and I can continue to do that so that you don't put yourself down so that you don't make yourself. And you have, like you said, you know, at the beginning, you don't have this negative chatter and, and making yourself your little inner child feel negative about what they did. Um, so it's, it's just, it's self leadership is what it is. Um, you know, you know, on the awareness piece so that, you know, what are my fears? You know, what are my sabotaging patterns that I kind of, you know, use to to kind of make myself feel better? Um, 
And, and having that awareness allows you to make sure that those feelings don't ambush you in the in moments where you're feeling, you know, under pressure. And it's important to know that every new level of success is going to require a new level of you, a new iteration, a new version of yourself. Um, and, and just, I think that baby steps are still progress. <laughs> You're still moving forward at your pace. Uh, but it's, it's important, you know, to bringing it back to sales. I think it's important to, to look at how much, how much am I practicing here? How much am I really putting in, in terms of time to get better? And if you have that too much, then it's like an athlete, you know, an athlete mm-hmm. doesn't learn by reading books and watching videos and, and uh, hearing podcasts or anything like that. You actually have to do it. You have to train your body. You have to be out there to see where is my baseline and where am I really good at that I thought I wasn't and vice versa. So, you know, every time I, I take on a new client right now, I'm working with this big company. I told you about when we met. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, it's it's so mm-hmm. hard when you've never been in a, a certain kind of industry and I'm selling along with them. And I know that my first calls, I sound like a complete, mm-hmm. you know, like, I don't know what I'm talking about, but, but I, I just know that I need to get more repetitions in, you know, because my first call is never going to sound the same as my 50th call. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's also being familiar. Mm-hmm. And um, there's this thing in psychology called the uh, competence confidence loop. So what it means is that the more you do something, the more confident mm-hmm. you are at it, the less you do uh, the less confident you are at it. So when you know that your brain, all that it's looking for is to mm-hmm. be familiar with a task, the more times you do it, the more confident and secure and, 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 um, and e- you know, uh, this feeling of easiness you're going to feel. So it has a lot to do with how mm-hmm. many offers you make and, and how much you're talking about your product that also makes you feel confident when selling. Cause that's another piece that I see that when you're not, you're not, you're, you don't like to do something all of a sudden, everything else is more important. Going to the dentist, um, cleaning the house, um, make that offer. Uh, no, no, no. Cause I needed to do all this over here Yep. <laughs> because you're, you're, excuses yeah so it's just kind of like excuses so I think that's a that's a very important piece yeah so I really I seriously I feel like I could talk to you for hours because I'm sure that even after you got hired by Barry Lynch that was an A and there were like probably a thousand lessons along the way but I really want to hear more about like the art of feminine selling because I think the name a lot of women would look at that name and say (laughs) That's an oxymoron. That's a contradiction. What do you mean feminine selling? Like feminine means one thing, selling means another, yeah. right? Like we associate it with masculinity. So I want to hear from you yeah. people so, about this name um, and like what you're doing. Fast forward to, to you know, program. maybe the last decade, I, I started, you know, working for a, a company as a wholesaler uh, for insurance. And I developed, you know, a sales process that allowed me to sell over $215 million. Um, and, you know, what? <laughs> what's that? You want to come for me? <laughs> yeah, 250, 200, no, 215 million, right? And uh, and just under seven years. And I realized, wow, I have something that I, you know, throughout my entire exp- career and expertise, I can really help um, and, and, and coach and support and build, put together a process 
can I help? And what I started recognizing is that everything mm-hmm. that was out, well, I wouldn't say everything, but let's just say like 95% or 98% of every, all the different um, sales and, and uh, you know, courses, uh, learning, anything was, you know, designed by men for men. And it was, I, I was seeing a huge gap in, in addressing mm-hmm. the way that women connect, the way that women want to sell and uh, the value proposition, the way that women mm-hmm. do it. Now, I don't want to encapsulate 100% all women because there's, you know, there's variations and some of some of them or of us could be a little bit more masculine than others. But this is, I, I created this program uh, so that you mm-hmm. you first identify why you're doing what you're doing and really kind of grab onto that and have that be the 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 guiding principles in your in your business and and then reshape your mindset around what is selling to serving and then understanding all the technical stuff that I said, you know, qualifying, setting up your sales process, making sure you have offers that are not a nice to have, but a must have. And what is that? What is that formula require? How to sell it? So there's a lot of technical technicality in it, coupled with a lot of mindset and a lot of ways of, you know, um, sharing what you do in a vulnerable way, in a sympathetic way, in a way that makes you feel damn good about what you're selling because it's going to really impact the right people. So that is what the art of feminine selling is. <laughs> I love it. I freaking love it. <laughs> well, I, and this is one of the things that I was thinking about when you mentioned, you know, like competence. I think that's one of the keys too when you are starting anything yeah. or doing anything is do the things that you are good at, do the things that you are experienced at. Because I think also that immediately increases the value of what you are offering. So I've been seeing a lot of, you know, people that wake up and the next day they yeah. want, you know, oh, I want to teach this thing. Well, how long have you done it for? Oh, I just started yesterday. <laughs> you know, So I think you also have to, I think the price and this, the value proposition and everything has to match um, and yeah. then that's going to help your confidence too. So do the things that you're really good at, even if that involves, because I, I do want you to touch on this because, you know, there are, for example, like artists, right? They, yeah. we have this idea, like uh, the starving artists, you know, or like you won't, will never make money through art or music or these things. And so I think it's important for people to know if you're really, really, really good at something, you will always be able to make money out of that, even if it's not something that's mm-hmm. known to be profitable. And so, and then likewise, if if you grab something else, just because you think like, oh, I see all these people making money with that thing, I'm going to go do it, but I don't have any experience or I don't have a passion for it or any skill for it, it's not going to work out. So how how do you help people also design and kind of like you know with your clients decide like what their value proposition is going to be you know how can they put together their package and their offering in a way that really showcases their talent so, and also you know their experience remember when and, i said we're not in the, the business table. of convincing anybody at the beginning <laughs> okay so that comes that that includes yourself mm-hmm. so I, I will never be able to work with anybody that they don't they're not sold on themselves first so if a person is saying, 
Julia, you know, I, I think mm-hmm. what I do is incredible, but I don't think anybody would w- want to buy it. Or if if their inner dialogue is around, I don't think it's it's worth it. Or I don't think it's, it's no matter no matter what I say, they're never gonna believe that. You know what I mean? In in mm-hmm. I think that it's first and foremost, it's important for you to look at yourself and value what you bring into the world and really look at. Um, well, I don't know how to sell it. You can acquire those skills, so that's okay. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to, to want to you know invest in in support in that area, mm-hmm. but you need to also want to be able to do that. I cannot want it more than you. So, so I no, and I'm not here to convince right. you to, to be able to do you it. You cannot convince I can, anyone I can share that's my not ready. That's what you want in terms mm-hmm. of like, Julia. What do you think? Do you think I can make some money out of it? And you know what? The answer is probably yes, because there's there's tastes for everything. You know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm in the I'm in the coaching and consulting space, and yeah, I am definitely not the cheapest. But let me tell you something: I'm not going to charge you a hundred thousand dollars for a day, which a lot of coaches out there charge. And guess what? They're booked. So it's subjective. It really is, and it's. Um, so my answer to that is, you know, why do some people Mm -hmm. sell art in the millions and millions and millions? It's because people are willing to buy. There's demand for that. So, um, Mm -hmm. it's not for me to say if you can or can't, the, the thing is, do you think you can, do you think something that is valuable? Because if you can have people buy into your vision, buy into your story, buy into why it's valuable, then you're going to create a movement and you're going to start seeing people that want to sell things for you. Or, you know, if that was the case, I'm just, you know, kind of giving a hypothetical, but it's super important that you're sold on what you're offering. Your, your audience, nobody's going to buy, nobody's going to buy. Well, and I think especially in the times that we're in right now with social media, and this is how we are consuming, this is how we buy things, whatever this person, you know, recommended on social media or my friend told me to buy. So I think it's so beautiful that when you believe in what you're selling to the point that you can, you can find a tribe that's willing to also spread the word because they love it. You know, if you're selling a product and people naturally, when they buy your product are compelled to share or tag you in social media because yeah. they love it so much. Like now you, like yeah. you said, you're having others sell it for you uh, without even asking. Right. But it's because you put that, well, first of all, quality, but also, you know, you, you there's a story behind it. And I think it's so important to, you know, to share those stories, the why, why there's so much, so much other stuff that we can go into, you know, the marketing piece, I, I could see already like that. And that's another piece to it. But if we're, thinking, yeah. if we're talking strictly <laughs> about the conversation, the value proposition, yes. the sales of it, you need to be sold on it. I can tell you right now, mm-hmm. really quickly, I've gotten on the phone. I remember um, I, I put together uh, like a checklist and this is just, this could be a free gift for me to your audience. Uh, if they would like it. But I remember interviewing about 60 women about three years ago. I didn't understand what in the world was going on because I, I would meet them, you know, in, in, in business masterminds and stuff like that. And I would be like, wow, these women have an amazing product. Like I would feel like a fish out of water because I didn't have my product yet <laughs> or my course or anything. And I was just like, wow, this is so cool. And then they were like, no, okay. we can't sell. We can't okay. sell. And I was like, all right, let's do this. I needed market research because I had no idea what was happening. I was coming from, you know, an area where sales were celebrated and, 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 and viewed. And over here, you know, 
Yeah, and the review was a right. little different. So I said, okay, I'll make you a trip. From the corporate world. I said, yeah. I'll listen to your you know, presentation or your pitch or your enrollment conversation. I will not sell you anything. I said, the only thing I want in return is to is is a, is to to research where the problem is happening, and in return, I'll give you some you know some pointers on where you can you know inc- uh, uh, improve. Oh my God, was I in for a rude awakening? I was like, holy crap! I realized that. <laughs> These women were fantastic and amazing people, but they had no clue how to sell. And I came up with five things never to say on your discovery call. Very basic, very simple to understand, nothing high level or anything like that. And I, I, I put, you know what, this is something that coaches, consultants and entrepreneurs, women should read before they get on a call with a potential client so that they don't. I think basically what what there was what was happening is people would say like oh I googled this or this coach told me to do it like that and that coach told me to do it like that and what was happening was that it didn't fit their personality or or it didn't flow with them so they sounded very mechanical and they sounded like something else. So it was not working. Yeah. So basically, I came up with five things never to say on your discovery call um, that covers basically timing and what to say instead and how to address this and how to address that. But it, it's a it's a really cool, I think, personally, right, kind of PDF that was birthed out of all those uh, all those scenarios that I was encountering. And what started this was one woman in particular was selling was, you know, doing the enrollment conversation with me. And I had to stop her in the middle of the call. And I said, do you even want to sell this? And she was like, well, and I said, enough. I said, That's it. <laughs> because, you know, selling is a transfer of emotion. If you're not excited, if you're not compelled to, to, to share it, if you're not, if you don't have the, if you don't have certainty in your voice, do you think I'm going to believe you? I'm the one getting out my credit card. I said, no. <laughs> so I think it's very important. I cannot stress nope. that enough that if you don't, uh, I have an exercise that I do with clients where they, you know, if they're not excited about their offerings, we, we scratch it and we start from scratch because they need to feel excited. Those, your, your offerings need to evolve with you. Maybe what you were offering before is not relevant to what you're teaching now or what you're selling now or what your, your services are, which is fine. But you need to continue that excitement or else it was going to dwindle exactly like your your sales are. So, I'll, yeah, no, thank you so much. That sounds like a really like fun thing to read. Um, what I'll do is I'll put it, I'll put a link. If you want to send me the link, we'll put it, we'll share the link for those mm-hmm. that want to check it out. The, you can check it on the description for the episode and so, um, um, and then social how can, media how it's, it's all my 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 name really julia andrews so uh, my website is juliaandrews.com and um, uh, mm-hmm. my my instagram is juliaandrews.com with two m's at the end because somebody got the one <laughs> um, and then if you want to join um i also have you know on on uh, oh. facebook the art of feminine selling um group you know i i i I give live uh, trainings and tips and stuff like that. So that, that'd be a, a neat place to, to look me up. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. We'll share those. Thank you so much for being with us, Julia. You have shared so much value. I'm super excited. If you like this episode, make sure you review it. Oh, you're sure very you welcome. Comment Thank you so much for having Julia. me. It's been a Thank pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Bye. Adios.